and welcome to the first episode of Explain That Book! I'm your host, Brooklyn Whiteside, and we'll be going over Lord of the Flies. Many people have actually read Lord of the Flies, mainly in high school, and are probably still thinking, that book made no sense. Well, I'm here to explain it to you. I know many of you have not read the book in a while, so let me summarize what happens in chapter one. Let's dive in. A fair-haired boy lowers himself down some rocks toward a lagoon on a beach. At the lagoon, he encounters another boy who is chubby, intellectual, and wears thick glasses. The fair-haired boy introduces himself as Ralph, and the chubby one introduces himself as Piggy. Through their conversation, William learned that in the midst of a war, a transport plane carrying a group of English boys was shot down over the ocean. It crashed in thick jungle on a deserted island. Scattered by the wreck, the surviving boys lost each other and cannot find the pilot. Ralph and Piggy look around the beach, wondering what has become of the other boys from the plane. They discover a large, cream-colored conch shell, which Piggy realizes could be used as a kind of makeshift trumpet. He convinces Ralph to blow through the shell to find the other boys. Summoned by the blast of the sound from the shell, the boys start to struggle onto the beach. The oldest among them are around 12, and the youngest are around 6. Among the group is a boys' choir, dressed in black gowns and led by an older boy named Jack. They march through the beach in two parallel lines, and Jack snaps at them to stand at attention. The boys taunt Piggy and make his a- mock his appearance and nickname. The boys decide to elect a leader. The choir boys vote for Jack, but all the other boys vote for Ralph. Ralph wins the vote. Although Jack clearly wants the position to palisade Jack, Ralph asks the choir to serve as the hunters for the band of boys and asks Jack to lead them. Mindful of the need to explore their environment, Ralph chooses Jack and a choir member named Simon to explore the new island. Iggy, ignoring Piggy's whining request to be picked, the three explorers leave the meeting place and set off across the island. The prospect of exploring the island exhilarates the boys, who feel a bond forming among them as they play together in the jungle. Eventually, they reach the end of the jungle, where high, sharp rocks jut towards steep mountains. The boys climb up the side of one of the steep hills. From the peak, they can see that they are on an island with no signs of civilization. The view is stunning, and Ralph feels as though they have discovered their own land. As they travel back toward the beach, they find a wild pig caught in a tangle of vines. Jack, the newly appointed hunter, draws his knife and steps in to kill it, but hesitates, unable to bring himself to act. The pig frees itself and runs away, and Jack bows that the next time he will not flinch from the act of killing. The three boys make a long trek through the dense jungle and eventually emerge in the group of boys waiting for them on the beach. Now, the main purpose of this podcast is to go over the theme of the books, and I will be, able to, I will be doing that by connecting the characters, the chapters to the theme of the book. So, how does this chapter relate to the theme? Well, Lord of the Flies dramatizes the conflict between civilizing instinct and barbarizing instinct that exists in all human beings. The artistic choices Golding makes in the novel are designed to emphasize the struggle between the ordering elements of society, which include morality, law, and and chaotic, chaotic elements of humanity's savage animal instincts which include anarchy, bloodlust, and desire for power, immorality, selfishness, and violence. Over the course of the novel, Golding portrays the rise and swift fall of an isolated makeshift civilization, which is torn to pieces by the savage instincts of those who compose it. In this first chapter, Golding establishes the parameters within the civilization functions. To begin with, it's populated solely with boys, the group of young English schoolboys shot down over the tropical island where the novel takes place. The fact that the characters are only boys is significant. The young boys are only half-formed, perched between civilization and savagery, and thus embodying the novel's central conflict. Throughout the novel, Golding's foundation in this is this idea that moral and societal constraints are learned rather than innate. 
that the human tendency to obey rules, behave peacefully, and follow orders is imposed by a system that is not in itself a fundamental part of human nature. Young boys are a fitting illustration of, his, of this premise, for they live in a constant state of tension with regard, with regard to the rules and regulations that are expected to follow. Left to their own devices, they often behave with instinctive cruelty and violence. In this regard, the civilization established in Lord of the Flies, a product of predilescent boys' social instincts, seems endangered from the beginning. In Chapter 1, the boys, still unsure of how to behave with no adult presence overseeing them, largely stick to the learned behaviors of civilization and order. They attempt to recreate the structures of society on their deserted island. They elect a leader, establish a division of labor, and set about systematically exploring the island. But even at this early stage, we see the danger that the boys' innate instincts pose to their civilization. The boys cruelly taunt Piggy, and Jack displays a ferocious desire to be elected the group's leader. Throughout Lord of the Flies, Golding makes heavy use of symbols to present the themes in dramatic conflicts of the novel. In this chapter, for instance, Golding introduces the, the bespectacled Piggy as a representative of the scientific, intellectual aspects of civilization. Piggy thinks critically about the conch shell and determines a productive use for it, summoning the other boys to the beach. The conch shell itself is one of the most important symbols in the novel. The conch shell represents law, order, and political legitimacy, as it summons the boys from the scattered positions on the island and grants it holder the right to speak in front of the group. Later in the novel, Golding sharply contrasts the conch shell with another natural object, the sinister pig's head known as the Lord of the Flies, which comes to symbolize primordial chaos and terror. That leads us to chapter 2. When the explorers return, Ralph sounds the conch shell, summoning the boys to another meeting on the beach. He tells the group that there are no adults on the island that they need to organize a few things to look after themselves. Jack reminds Ralph of the pig they found trapped in the vines in the jungle, and Ralph agrees that they will need hunters to kill animals for meat. Ralph declares that, at meetings, the conch shell will be used to determine which boy has the right to speak. Whoever holds the conch shell will speak, and the others will listen silently until they receive their shell in, turn, in their turn. Jack agrees that th- with this idea. Piggy yells about the fact that no one knows they have crashed on the island and that they could be stuck there for a long time. The prospect of being stranded for a long period is too harrowing for many of the boys, and the entire group becomes silent and scared. One of the younger children, a small boy with a mulberry-colored mark on his face, claims that he saw a snake-like beastie or monster the night before. A wave of fear ripples through the group at the idea that a monster might be prowling the island. Though they are frightened, the older boys try to reassure the group that there is no monster. The older boys say that the little boys' vision was only a nightmare. Thinking about the possibility of rescue, Ralph proposes the group that build a large signal fire on top of the island's central mountain so that any passing ships might see the fire and know that someone is trapped on the island. Excited by the thought, the boys rush off to the mountain while Ralph and Piggy lag behind. Piggy continues to whine about the childishness and stupidity of the group. The boys collect a mound of dead wood and use the lenses from Piggy's glasses to focus the sunlight and set the wood on fire. They manage to get a large fire going, but it quickly dies down. Piggy angrily declares that the boys need to act more proficiently if they want to get off the island, but his words carried little weight. Jack volunteers his group of hunters to be responsible for keeping the signal fire going. In their frenzied, disorganized efforts to rekindle the fire, the boys set a swath of trees ablaze. Enraged at the group's reckless disorganization, Piggy tells them furiously that one of the littlest boys, the same boy who had told them about the snake beast, was playing over by the fire and now is missing. The boys are crestfallen and shocked. Ralph is struck with shame. They pretend that nothing has happened. But, but Brooklyn, how does this chapter even remotely relate to the theme? Well, let me break it down for you. 
The conflict between the instincts of civilization and savagery emerges quickly within the group. The boys, especially Piggy, know that they must act with order or forethought if they are to be rescued. But the longer they remain apart from the society of adults, the more difficult it becomes for them to adhere to the disciplined behavior of civilization. In chapter 1, the boys seem determined to recreate the society they have lost. But as early as chapter 2, their instinctive drive to play and gratify their immediate desires undermines their ability to, to act collectively. As a result, the signifier nearly fails, and a young boy apparently burns to death when the forest catches fire. The constraints of society still linger around the boys, who are confused and ashamed when they learn the young boy is missing. I sign that a sense of morality still guides their behavior at this point. Golding's portrayals of the main characters among the group of boys to the allegorical quality of Lord of the Flies as several of the boys stand for larger concepts. Ralph, the protagonist of the novel, stands for civilization, morality, and leadership, while Jack, the antagonist, stands for the desire for power, selfishness, and amorality. Piggy represents the scientific and intellectual aspects of civilization, as his glasses, a symbol of, simp- of rationally and intellect, enable the boys to light fires. Already, the boys' savage instincts lead them to value strength and charisma above intelligence. Although Piggy has a great deal to offer, the boys' is fledgling civilization, they see him as a skinny, as a whiny weakling and therefore despise him and refuse to listen to him, even when his ideas are good. For instance, when Piggy suggests that the boys find a way to improve their chances of being rescued, they ignore him. Only when the stronger and more charismatic Ralph suggests the same thing do they agree to make the signal fire. A fire- Apart from the boys themselves, the signal fire and the beastie also carry symbolic significance. The signal fire serves as a parameter for the boys' interest in maintaining ties to civilization. As long as it burns, they retain some hope that they will be rescued and returned to society. But as they become increasingly obsessed with power and killing, they lose interest in the fire. When the fire ultimately burns out, the boys' disconnection from the structures of society is complete. Meanwhile, the beast, the young boy, com- claims to have seen also emerges as an important symbol in the novel. At this point, the beast is merely an idea that frightens some of the boys, but as the novel progresses, all the boys tactically accept the beast's existence. The beast comes to represent the instincts of power, violence, and savagery that lurk within each human being. That leads us to chapter 3. Carrying a stick sharpened into a makeshift spear, Jack trails a pig through the thick jungle, but it evades him. Irritated, he walks back to the beach, where he finds Ralph and Simon at work building huts for the younger boys to live in. Ralph is irritated because the huts keep falling down before they are completed and because though the huts are vital to the boys' ability to live on the island, none of the other boys besides Simon will help him. As Ralph and Simon work, most of the boys splash about and play in the lagoon. Ralph gripes that few of the boys are doing any work. He says that all the boys act excited and energized by the plans they make at meetings, but none of them is willing to work to make the plan successful. Ralph points out that Jack's hunters have failed to catch a single pig. Jack claims that although they have so far trailed to, failed to bring down a pig, they will soon have more success. Ralph also worries about the smaller children, many of whom have nightmares and are unable to sleep. He tells Jack about his concerns, but Jack, still trying to think of ways to kill a pig, is not interested in Ralph's problems. Ralph, annoyed that Jack, like all the other boys, is unwilling to work on the huts, implies that Jack and the hunters are using their hunting duties as an excuse to avoid the real work. Jack responds to Ralph's complaints by commenting that the boys want meat. Jack and Ralph continue to bicker and grow increasingly hostile toward each other. Hoping to regain their sense of camaraderie, they go swimming together in the lagoon, but their feelings of mutual dislike remain and fester. In the meantime, Simon wanders through the jungle alone. He helps some of the boy, the younger boys, whom the older boys have started to call little ones, reach fruit hanging from a high branch. 
He walks deeper into the forest and eventually finds a thick jungle glade, a peaceful, beautiful open space full of flowers, birds, and butterflies. Simon looks around to make sure that he is alone, then sits down to take in the scene. Marveling at the abundance and beauty of the life that surrounds him, so let's break down this chapter so let's break this chapter down. The personal conflict between Ralph and Jack mirrors the overarching thematic conflict of the novel. The conflict between the two boys brews as early as the election in chapter one, but remains hidden beneath the surface, masked by the camaraderie the boys feel as they work together to build a community. In this chapter, however, the conflict erupts into verbal argument for the first time, making apparent the divisions undermining the boys' community and setting the stage for further, more violent developments. As Ralph and Jack argue, each boy tries to give voice to his basic conception of human purpose. Ralph advocates building huts while Jack champions hunting. Ralph, who thinks about the overall good of the group, deems hunting frivolous. Jack, drawn to the exhilaration of hunting by his bloodlust and desire for power, has no interest in building huts and no concern for what Ralph thinks, but because Ralph and Jack are merely children, they are unable to state their feelings articulately. At this point in the novel, the conflict between civilization and savagery is still heavily tilted in the favor of civilization. Jack, who has no real interest in the welfare of the group, is forced to justify his desire to hunt, rather than build huts by claiming that it is good for all the boys. Additionally, though most of the boys are more interested in play than in work, they continue to recreate the basic structures of civilization on the island. They even begin to develop their own language, calling the younger children Little Ones and the twins Sam and Eric. Sam, in with an N, Eric. Simon, meanwhile, seems to exist outside the conflict between Ralph and Jack, between civilization and savagery. We see Simon's kind and generous nature through his actions in this chapter. He helps Ralph build the huts when the other boys would rather play, indicating his helplessness, discipline, and dedication to the common good. Simon helps the little ones reach a high branch of fruit, indicating his kindness and sympathy, a sharp contrast to many of the other boys, who would rather torment the little ones than help them. When Simon sits alone in the jungle glade, marveling at the beauty of nature, we see that he feels a basic connection with the natural world. On the whole, Simon seems to have a basic goodness and kindness that comes from within him, and is tied to his connection with nature. All the other boys, meanwhile, seem to have inherited their, cha- their ideas of goodness and morality from the external forces of civilization. So the longer they are away from human society, their moral sense erodes. In this regard, Simon emerges as an important figure to contrast with Ralph and Jack where Ralph represents the orderly forces of civilization and Jack the primal, instinctual urges that react against such order. Simon represents a third quality, a kind of goodness that is natural or innate rather than taught by human society. In this way, Simon, who cannot be categorized by the other boys, complicates the simple structure, symbolic structure of Lord of the Flies. Okay, chapter four. Life on the island soon develops a daily rhythm. Morning is pleasant with cool air and sweet smells, and the boys are able to play happily. By the afternoon, though, the sun becomes oppressively hot, and some of the boys nap, although they are often troubled by bizarre images that seem to flicker over the water. Piggy dismisses these images as mirages caused by sunlight striking the water. Evening brings cooler temperatures again, but darkness falls quickly, and nighttime is frightening and difficult. The little ones, who spend most of their days eating fruit and playing with one another, are particularly troubled by visions and bad dreams. They continue to talk about the beastie and fear that a monster hunts in the darkness. The large amount of fruit that they eat causes them to suffer from diarrhea and stomach ailments. Although the little ones' lives are largely separate from those of the older boys, there are a few instances when the older boys torment the little ones. One vicious boy named Roger joins another boy. 
Maurice and cruelly stomping on a sandcastle the little ones had built. Roger even throws stones at one of the boys, although he does remain careful enough to avoid actually hitting the boys with the stones. Jack, obsessed with the idea of killing a pig, camouflages his face with clay and charcoal and enters the jungle to hunt, accompanied by several other boys. On the beach, Ralph and Piggy see a ship on the horizon, but they also see that the signal fire has gone out. They hurry to the top of the hill, but it is too late to rekindle the flame, and the ship does not come for them. Ralph is furious with Jack, because it was the hunter's responsibility to see that the fire was maintained. Jack and the hunters return from the jungle, covered with blood and chanting a bizarre song. They carry a dead pig on a stake between them. Furious at the hunter's responsibility, Ralph accosts Jack about the signal fire. The hunters, having actually managed to catch and kill a pig, are so excited and crazed with bloodlust that they are barely hear Ralph's complaints. When Piggy shrilly complains about their hunter's immaturity, Jack slaps him hard, breaking one of the lenses of his, ja- of his glasses. Jack taunts Piggy by mimicking his whining voice. Ralph and Jack have a heated conversation. At last, Jack admits his responsibility and the failure of the signal fire, but never apologizes to Piggy. Ralph goes to Piggy to use his glasses to light a fire, and at that moment, Jack's friendly feelings toward Ralph have changed to resentment. The boys roast the pig, and the hunters dance wildly around the fire, singing and reenacting the savagery of the hunt. Ralph declares that he is calling a meeting and stalks down the hill toward the beach alone. Let's go over the analysis of chapter 4. At this point in the novel, the the group of boys have lived on the island for some time, and their society increasingly resembles a political state. Although the issue of power and control is central to the boys' lives from the moment they elect a leader in the first chapter, the the dynamics of the society they form to take time to develop. By this chapter, the boys' community mirrors a political society, with the faceless and frightened little ones resembling the masses of common people, and the various older boys filling positions of power and importance. With regard to these underlings, some of the older boys, including Ralph and especially Simon, are kind to the little ones. Others, including Roger and Jack, are cruel to them. In short, two conceptions of power emerge on the island, corresponding to the novel's philosophical poles. Civilization and Savagery Simon, Ralph, and Piggy represent the idea that power should be used for good, for the good of the group, and the protection of the little ones, a stance of representing the instinct toward civilization, order, and morality. Roger and Jack represent the idea that power should enable those who hold it to gratify their own desires and act on their impulses, treating the little ones as servants or objects from their own amusement. A stance representing the instinct toward savagery. As the tension between Ralph and Jack increases, we see more obvious signs of potential struggle for power. Although Jack has been deeply envious of Ralph's power from the moment Ralph was elected, the two do not come into open conflict with this ch- until this chapter. When Jack's irresponsibility leads to the failure of the signal fire, when the fire, a symbol of the boys' connection to the civilization, goes out, the boys' first chance of being rescued is thwarted. Ralph flies into a rage, indicating that he is still governed by desire to achieve the good of the whole group. But Jack, having just killed a pig, is too excited by his success to care very much about the, mi- the mischance to escape the island. Indeed, Jack's bloodlust and the thirst for power have overwhelmed his interest in civilization, whereas he previously justified his commitment to hunting by claiming that it was for the good of the group. Now he lo- no longer feels the need to justify his behavior at all. Instead, he indicates his new orientation towards savagery by painting his face like a barbarian, leading wild chants among the hunters and apologizing for his failure, to maintain the signal fire only when Ralph seems ready to fight him over it. The extent to which the strong boys bully the weak mirrors, the extent to which the island civilization disintegrates. Since the beginning, the boys have bullied the whiny intellectual piggy whenever they need to feel powerful and important. 
Now, however, the harassment of Piggy intensifies, and Jack begins to hit him openly. Indeed, despite his position of power, responsibility, and responsibility in the group, Jack shows no qualms about abusing the other boys physically. Some of the other hunters, especially Roger, seem even crueler and less governed by moral impulses. The civilized Ralph, meanwhile, is unable to understand their, this impulsive and cruel behavior, for he simply cannot conceive of how physically bullying creates a self-gratifying sense of power. The boys' failure to understand each other's point of views creates a gulf between them, one that widens as resentment and open hostility set in. Let's go over chapter 5. As Ralph walks along the beach, he thinks about how much of life is an improvisation about how a considerable part of one's waking life is spent watching one's feet. Ralph is frustrated with his hair, which is now long and manging, and always manages to fall in front of his eyes. He decides to call a meeting to attempt to bring the boys back into line. Late in the evening, he blows the conch shell and the boys gather on the beach. At the meeting place, Ralph grips the conch and berates the boys for their failure to uphold the group's rules. They have not done anything required of them. They refuse to work at building shelters. They do not gather drinking water. They neglect the signal fire, and they do not even use the designated toilet area. He restates the importance of the signal fire and attempts to ally the group's growing fear of the beasts and monsters. The little ones, in particular, are increasingly plagued by nightmare visions. Ralph says there are no monsters on the island. Jack, likewise, maintains there is no beast, saying that everyone gets frightened and it's just a matter of putting up with it. Piggy seconds Ralph's rational claim, but a ripple of fear runs through the group nonetheless. One of the little ones speaks up and claims that he has actually seen the beast. When the, other pre- when the others press him and ask where it could hide during the daytime, he suggests that it might come up from the ocean at night. This previously unthought of explanation terrifies all the boys, and the meeting plunges into chaos. Suddenly, Jack proclaims that there is a beast. He and his hunters will now hunt it down and kill it. Jack torments Piggy and runs away, and many of the other boys run after him. Eventually, only Ralph and Piggy and Simon are left. In the, dis- in the distance, the hunters who have followed Jack dance and chant. Piggy urges Ralph to blow the conch shell and summon the boys back to the group, but Ralph is afraid that the summons will go ignored and that any vestige of order will then disintegrate. He tells Piggy and Simon that he might relinquish later leadership of the group, but his friends reassure him that the boys need his guidance. As the group drifts off to sleep, the sound of a little and crying echoes along the beach. So let's analyze this chapter. The boys' fear of the beast becomes an increasingly important aspect of their lives, especially at night. From the moment the first little one claims to have seen a snake monster in chapter 2. In this chapter, the fear of the beast finally explodes, ruining Ralph's attempt to restore order to the island and precipitating the final split between Ralph and Jack. At this point, it remains uncertain whether or not the beast actually exists. In any case, the beast serves as one of the most important symbols in the novel, representing both the terror and the allure of the primordial desires for violence, power, and savagery that lurk within every human soul. In keeping with the overall allegorical nature of Lord of the Flies, the beast can be interpreted in a number of different lights. In a religious reading, for instance, the beast recalls the devil. In a Freudian reading, it represents the ID, the instinctual urges and desires of the human unconscious mind. However, we interpret the beast, the little ends of the... The little end's idea of the monster rising from the sea terrifies the boys because it represents the beast's emergence from their own unconscious minds. As Simon realizes later in the novel, the beast is not necessarily something that exists outside the jungle. Rather, it already exists inside each boy's mind and soul, the capacity for savagery and evil that slowly overwhelms them. As the idea of the beast increasingly fills the boys with dread, Jack and the hunters manipulate the boys' fear of the beast to their own advantage.
Jack continues to hint that the beast exists when he knows that it probably does not, a manipulation that leaves the rest of the group fearful and more willing to cede power to Jack and his hunters. More willing to overlook barbarism and Jack's part of, for the sake of maintaining the safety of the group. In this way, the beast indirectly becomes one of Jack's primary sources of power. At the same time, Jack effectively enables the boys themselves to act as the beast, to express the instinct for savagery that civilization has previously held in check. Because the instinct is natural and present within each human being, Golding asserts that we are all capable of becoming the beast. Almost halfway through the book, almost halfway through the book. So chapter six. In the darkness late that night, Ralph and Simon carry a little one back to the shelter before going to sleep. As the boys sleep, military airplanes battle fiercely above the island. None of the boys sees the explosion and flashes in the clouds because the twins, Sam and Eric, who are supposed to watch the signal fire, have fallen asleep. During the battle, a parachutist drifts down the sky onto the island, dead. His chute becomes tangled in some rocks and flaps in the wind. While his shape casts fearful shadows on the ground, his head seems to rise and fall as the wind blows. When Sam and Eric wake up, they tend to... They tended the fire to the, make the flames brighter. In the flickering firelight, they see the twisted form of the dead parachutist and mistake the shadowy image for the figure of the dreaded beast. They rush back to the camp, wake Ralph, and tell him that they have seen the beast. Ralph immediately calls for a meeting, at which the twins reiterate they claim at a monster assaulted them. The boys, electrified and horrified by the twins' claims, organized an expedition to search the island for monsters. They set out, armed with wooden spears, and only Piggy and the little ones remain behind. Ralph allows Jack to lead the search as the group sets out. The boys soon reach a part of the island that none of them have experienced before, or explored before. A thin walkway that leads to a hill dotted with small caves. The boys are afraid to go across the walkway and round the ledge of the hill. So Ralph goes to investigate alone. He finds out, although he was frightened with the other boys, he quickly regains his confidence when explores on his own. Soon, Jack joins Ralph in the cave. The group climbs the hill, and Ralph and Jack feel the old bond between them rekindling. The other boys begin to play games, pushing rocks into the sea, and many of them lose sight of the purpose of their expedition. Ralph angrily reminds them that they are looking for the beast and says that they must return to the other mountains so that they can rebuild the signal fire. The other boys, lost in whimsical plans to build a fort and do other things on the new hill, are displeased by Ralph's commands, but grudgingly obey. Let's analyze this chapter. As fear about the beast grips the boys, the balance between civilization and savagery on the island shifts, and Ralph's control over the group diminishes. At the beginning of the novel, Ralph's hold on the boys is quite secure. They all understand the need for order and purpose of action, even if they do not always want to be bothered with rules. By this point, however, as the conventions of civilization begin to erode among the boys, Ralph's hold on them slips, while Jack becomes a more powerful and menacing figure in the camp. In chapter 5, Ralph's attempt to reason with the boys is ineffective. By chapter 6, Jack is able to manipulate Ralph by asking him in front of the other boys whether he is frightened. This question forces Ralph to act irrationally, simply for the sake of preserving his status among the other boys. This breakdown in the group's desire for morality, order, and civilization is increasingly enabled or excused by the presence of the monster. The beast that has frightened the little ones since the beginning of the novel and that is quickly assuming an almost religious significance in the camp. The air battle and dead parachutists remind us of the larger setting of the Lord of the Flies. Though the boys lead an isolated life on the island, we know that a bloody war is being waged elsewhere in the war- world. 
a war that apparently is a terrible holocaust. All Golding tells us is that atom bombs have threatened England in a war against the Reds, and the boys were evacuated just before the impending destruction of their civilization. The war is also responsible for the boys' crash landing on the island in the first, in the first place. Because an enemy aircraft gunned down their transport plane, although the war remains in the background of the Lord of the Flies, it is nevertheless an important extension of the main themes of the, of the novel. Just as the boys struggle with the conflict between civilization and savagery on the island, the outside world is gripped in a similar conflict. War represents the savage outburst of civilization, when the desire for violence and the power excuse me, overwhelms the desire for order and peace. Even though the outside world has bestowed upon the boys a sense of morality and order, the danger of savagery remains real, even with con- the context of the seemingly civilized society that has nurtured them. Let's move on to chapter 7. The boys stopped to eat as they traveled toward the mountain. Ralph gazes disconsolately at the choppy ocean and muses on the fact that the boys have become solidly and undisciplined. As he looks out the vast expanse of water, he feels the ocean is like an impenetrable wall blocking any hope the boys have escaping the island. Simon, however, lifts Ralph's spirits by reassuring him that he will make it home. That afternoon, the hunters find pig droppings, and Jack suggests they, have, they hunt the pig while they continue to search for the beast. The boys agree and track a large boar, which leads them on a wild chase. Ralph, who has never been on a hunt before, quickly gets caught up in exhilaration of the chase. He excitedly flings his spear at the boar, and though it glances off the animal's snout, Ralph is thrilled with his marksmanship nonetheless. Jack holds up his bloody arm, which he claims the boar grazed with his tusks. Although the boar escapes, the boys remain in a frenzy in the aftermath of the hunt. Excited, they reenact the chase among themselves with a boy named Robert playing the boar. They dance, chant, and jab Robert with their spears, eventually losing sight of the fact that they are only playing a game. Beaten and in danger, Robert tries to drag himself away. The group nearly kills Robert before they remember themselves. Robert suggests they use a real boar in the game next time. Jack replies that they should use a little one instead. The boys laugh, delighted and stirred up by Jack's audacity. Ralph tries to remind everyone that they were only playing a game. Simon volunteers to return to the beach to tell Piggy and the little ones that they will, the group will not return to the light that night. Darkness falls, and Ralph proposes that they wait until morning to climb the mountain, because it will be difficult to hunt the monster at night. Jack challenges Ralph to join the hunt, and Ralph finally agrees to go simply to regain his position in the eyes of the group. Ralph, Roger, and Jack start to climb the mountain, then Ralph and Roger wait somewhere near the top while Jack climbs up along the summit. He returns breathlessly, claiming to have seen the monster. Ralph and Roger climb up to have a look and see a terrifying specter, a large, shadowy form with the shape of a giant ape making a strange flapping sound in the, sound of the wind. Horrified, the boys hurry down the mountain to warn the group. Let's analyze this chapter. The boar hunt and the game the boys play afterward provide stark reminders of the power of the human instinct towards savagery. Before this point in the novel, Ralph has been largely baffled about why the other boys were more concerned with hunting, dancing, and bullying, bullying and feasting with other than with building the huts maintaining the signifier and trying to be rescued. But when he joins the boar hunt in this chapter, Ralph is unable to avoid the instinctive excitement of the hunt and gets caught up in the other boys' bloodless in the scene. In this scene, Golding implies that every individual, however strong his or her instinct toward civilization and order, has an undeniable innate drive towards savagery as well. After the hunt, the boys' reenactment of the chase provides a further reminder of the inextricable connection between the thrill of the hunt and the desire for power. Robert, the boy who stands in for the boar in the reenactment, is nearly killed as the other boys again get caught up in the excitement and lose sight of the limits of the game. And the mad desire to kill. 
Afterward, when Jack suggests killing a little one plays with a pig, the group laughs. At this point, probably none of them, except possibly Jack and Roger, would go so far as to actually carry out such a plan. Nonetheless, the fact that the boys find the possibility exciting rather than horrifying is rather unsettling. By this point, the conflict between Ralph and Jack has escalated to a real struggle for power. As Jack's brand of violence and savagery almost completely replaces Ralph's disciplined community and the boys' conception of the lies on the island. Ralph's exhilaration in the hunt and his participation in the ritual that nearly kills Robert is in a sense a major victory for Ralph, for their experience shakes Ralph's confidence in his own instinct toward morality and order. As befits a power struggle and a savage group, the conflict between Ralph and Jack manifests itself not as a competition to prove who would be the better leader, but instead as a competition of sheer strength and courage. Just as Ralph boldly climbed the hill alone to prove his bravery in the previous chapter, Jack goes up the mountain alone now. It is also significant that Ralph discovers nothing, while Jack discovers what he thinks is the beast. While Ralph does not believe in the beast, the beast constitutes a major part of Jack's picture of life on the island. Jack increases his leverage within the group by goading Ralph into acting rashly and unwisely against his tendency toward level-headedness. A manipulation that weakens Ralph's position in the group. Although Ralph realizes that it's foolish to hunt the beast at night, he knows that in a society that values strength, he cannot risk appearing to be a coward. As a result, he sends to group up the mountainside at night. Ultimately, Ralph's decision to explore the mountain at night cost him the opportunity to prove to the others that Sam and Eric did not see the beast. Had the boys climbed the mountain in the daylight, as Ralph wished, they would have seen the dead parachutist for what it was. Because they got at, they go at night, however, they see the parachute is distorted by shadows and believe it to be the beast. In a sense, the degree to which each boy is prone to see the beast mirrors the image to which he gives in to his instinct towards savagery. This connection emphasizes the idea that the beast is a symbolic manifestation of the boys' primitive inner instincts. Okay, chapter 8. The next morning, the news of the monster has the boys in a state of uproar as they gather on the beach. Piggy, who was not on the mountain that night before, is baffled by the other boys' claims to have seen the monster. Jack seizes the conch shell and blows into it clumsily, calling for an assembly. Jack tells the others that there is definitely a beast on the mountain and goes on to claim that Ralph is a coward who should be removed from his leadership role. The other boys, however, refuse to vote Ralph out of power. Enraged, Jack storms away from the group, saying that he is leaving and that anyone who likes it is welcome to join him. Deeply troubled, Ralph does not know how what to do. Piggy, meanwhile, is thrilled to see Jack go, and Simon suggests that all return to the mountain to search for the beast. The other boys are too afraid to act on his suggestion, however. Ralph slips into a depression, but Piggy cheers him up with an idea. They should build a new signal fire on the beach rather than on the mountain. Piggy's idea restores Ralph's hope that they will be rescued. The boys set out to work and build a new fire, but many of them sneak away into the night to join Jack's troop. Piggy tries to convince Ralph that they are better off without the deserters. Along another stretch of sand, Jack gathers his new tribe and declares himself the chief. In a savage frenzy, the hunters kill a sow, and Roger drives his spear forcefully into the sow's anus. Then the boys leave the sow head on a sharpened stake in the jungle as an offering to the beast. As they place the head upright in the forest, the black blood drips down the sow's teeth and the boys run away. As Piggy and Ralph sit in the old camp discussing the deserters, the hunters from from Jack's tribe descend upon them, shrieking and whooping. The hunters steal burning sticks from the fire on the beach. Jack tells Ralph's followers that they are welcome to come to his feast at night and even join his tribe. The hungry boys are tempted to be the idea are tempted by the idea of pig's meat. Just before Jack's tribe breaks the beach, 
Simon slips away from the camp and returns to the jungle glade where he previously sat marveling at the beauty of nature. Now, however, he finds the sow's head impaled on a stake in the middle of the clearing. Simon sits alone in the clearing, staying with rapt attention at the impaled pig's head, which is now swarming with flies. The sight mesmerizes him and it even seems as the head comes to life. The head speaks to Simon the voice of the Lord of the Flies, ominously declaring that Simon will never be able to escape him, for he lies within all human beings. He also promises to have some fun with Simon. Terrified and troubled by the aberration, Simon collapses in a faint. How about an analysis of chapter 8? The excitement the boys felt when Jack suggests killing a little one in chapter 7 comes to grotesque fruitation in chapter 8. During the vicious and bloody hunt following Jack's rise to power and formation of his new tribe, Jack's descent arises directly from the supposed confirmation of the existence of the beast. Once the boys, having mistaken the dead parachutes for a monster, come to believe fully in the existence of the beast. All the remaining power of civilization and culture on the island diminishes rapidly. In a world where the beast is real, rules and morals become weak and utterly dispensable. The original democracy Ralph has leads devolves into a cult-like totalitarianism. With Jack as a tyrant and the beast as both an enemy and a revered god, we see the depth of the boys' growing devotion to the idea of the beast and their impalement of the sow's head on the stake as an offering to the beast. No longer simply a childish nightmare, the beast assumes a primal, religious importance to the boys' lives. Jack uses the indigenously to rule his savage kingdom, and each important character in Lord of the Flies struggled to become to come to terms with the beast. Piggy, who remains steadfastly scientific and rational at this point in the novel, is simply baffled and disgusted. Ralph, who has seen what he thinks is the beast, is listless and depressed, unsure of how to reconcile his civilized, excuse me again, civilized ideas with the sight he saw on the mountaintop. But the most complex reaction of all comes from one of the novel's most complex characters. Simon. Simon's confrontation with the Lord of the Flies, the sow's head impaled on a stake in the forest glade, is arguably the most important scene in the novel, and one that has attracted the most attention from critics. Some critics have interpreted the scene as a retelling of Jesus' confrontation with Satan during his 40 days in the wilderness, a story originally told in the Gospels of the New Testament. Indeed, many critics have described Simon as a Christ figure, for he has a mystical connection to the environment, possesses a saintly and selfless discipline position and meets a tragic and sacrificial death death others tie the scene into a larger fruitian reading of the lord of the flies claiming that its symbols correspond exactly to the elements of the fruitian unconscious with jack as the id ralph as the ego and piggy as the superego lord of the flies may indeed support these number these and a number of other readings not necessarily at the exclusion of one another Indeed, many differences between Simon and Jesus complicate the comparison between the two and prevent us from seeing Simon as a straightforward Christ figure. Simon, unlike Jesus, is not a supernatural being, and none of the boys could possibly find salvation from the Lord of the Flies through faith in Simon. Rather, Simon's terror and fainting spell indicate the horrific, persuasive power of the instinct for chaos and savagery that the Lord of the Flies represents. Simon has a deep human insight in the glade, for he realizes that it is not a real, physical beast that inspires the hunter's behavior, but rather the barbaric instinct that lies deep within each of them. Fearing that this instinct lies embedded within himself as well, Simon seems to hear the Lord of the Flies speaking with him, threatening him with that he, what he fears most. Unable to stand the sight any longer, Simon collapses into a very human fate. In all, Simon is a complex figure who does not fit neatly into the matrix framed by Jack and at the one end and Ralph at the other.
Simon is kind-hearted and firmly on the other on the side of order and civilization, but he is also intrigued by the idea of the beast and feels a deep connection with nature and the wilderness on the island. Whereas Jack and Roderick connect with the wildness on a level that plunges them into primal lust and violence, Simon finds as a source of mystical comfort and joy. Simon's closest with nature and his unwaveringly kind nature throughout the novel make him the only character who does not feel morality as an artificial imposition of society. Instead, we sense that Simon's morality and goodness are a way of life that proceeds directly and easily from nature. Lord of the Flies is deeply preoccupied with the problem of fundamental natural human evil, amid which Simon is the sole figure of fundamental natural good in a wally non-religious way. Simon complicates the philosophical statement the novel makes about human beings, for he represents a completely separate alternative to the spectrum between civilization and savagery of which Ralph and Jack are at part. In the end, Simon is both natural and good in a world where such a combination seems impossible. Chapter 9 Simon awakens and finds the air dark and humid with an approaching storm. His nose is bleeding, and he staggers toward the mountain in a daze. He crawls up the hill, and in the failing light sees the dead pilot with his flapping parachute. Watching the parachute rise and fall in the wind, Simon realizes the boys have mistaken the harmless object for the deadly beast that has plunged their entire group into chaos. When Simon sees the corpse of the parachutist, he begins to vomit. When he is finished, he untangles the parachute lines, freeing the parachute from the rocks, anxious to prove the to the group that the beast is not real after all. Simon stumbles toward the distant light of the fire at Jack's feast to tell the other boys what he has seen. Piggy and Ralph go to the feast with the hopes that they will be able to keep some control over events. At the feast, the boys are laughing and eating the roasted pig. Jack is like a king on a throne. His face painted like a savage, languidly issuing commands and waited on by boys acting as his servants. After the large meal, Jack extends an invitation to all of Ralph's followers to join his tribe. Most of them accept, despite Ralph's attempt, attempts to dissuade them. As it starts to rain, Ralph asks Jack how he plans to weather the storm, considering he has not built any shelters. In response, Jack orders his tribe to do its wild hunting dance, chanting and dancing in several separate circles on the beach. The boys are caught up in a kind of frenzy. Even Ralph and Piggy, swept away by the excitement, dance on the fringes of the group. Excuse me. The boys again reenact the hunt of the pig and reach a high pitch of frenzied energy as they chant and dance. Suddenly, the boys see a shadowy figure creep out of the forest. It is Simon. In their wild state, however, the boys do not recognize him. Shouting that he is the beast, the boys descend upon Simon and start to tear him apart with their bare hands and teeth. Simon tries desperately, desperately to explain what has happened and remind them of who he is, but he trips and plunges over the rocks onto the beach. The boys fall on him violently and kill him. The storm explodes over the island in the whipping rain. The boys run for shelter, howling wind and waves wash Simon's mangled corpse into the ocean, where it drifts away, surrounded by glowing fish. At the same time, the wind blows the body of the parachutist off the side of the mountain and onto the beach, sending the boys screaming into the darkness. Let's go over the analysis. With the brutal, animalistic murder of Simon, the last vestige of civilized order on the island is stripped away, and brutality and chaos take over. By this point, the boys in Jack's camp are all but inhuman savages, and Ralph's few remaining allies suffer dwindling spirits and consider joining Jack. Even Ralph and Piggy themselves get swept up in this ritual dance. Around Jack's banquet fire, the storm that batters the island after Simon's death pounds home the catastrophe of the murder and physically embodies the chaos and anarchy that have overtaken the island. Significantly, the storm also washes away the bodies of Simon and the parachutists, eradicating proof that the beast does not exist. 
Jax makes the beast into a godlike figure, a kind of totem he uses to rule and manipulate the members of his tribe. He attributes to the beast both immorality and the to the bower to change form, making it an enemy to be feared and the idol to be worshipped. The importance of the figure of the beast in the novel cannot be overstated, for it gives Jack's tribe a common enemy, the beast, a common system of belief, the conviction that the mythical beast exists, a reason to obey Jack, protection for the beast, and even a developing system of primitive symbolism and incognophory, face painting the Lord of the Flies. In a sense, Simon's murder is an almost inevitable outcome of his encounter with the Lord of the Flies in chapter 8. During the confrontation in the previous chapter, the Lord of the Flies foreshadows Simon's death by promising to have some fun with him. Although Simon's vision teaches him that the beast exists inside all human beings, his confrontation with the beast is not complete until he comes face to face with the beast that exists within the boy within the other boys. Indeed, when the boys kill Simon, they are acting on the savage instinct of the beast represents. Additionally, the manner of Simon's death and continues the parallels between Simon and Jesus. Both die sacrificial deaths after learning profound truths about human morality. But Simon's death differs from Jesus' in ways that complicate the idea that Simon is simply a Christ figure. Although Jesus and Simon both die sacrificial death, Jesus was killed for his beliefs, whereas Simon is killed because of the other boy's delusions. Jesus died after conveying his message to the world, whereas Simon dies before he is able to speak to the boys. In the biblical tradition, Jesus dies to alleviate the burden of mankind's sin. Simon's death, on the other hand, simply intensifies the burden of sin pressing down upon the island. According to the Bible, Jesus' death shows others the ways to salvation. Simon's death exemplifies the power of evil within the human soul. Let's move on to chapter 10. The next morning, Ralph and Piggy meet on the beach. They are bruised and sore and feel awkward and deeply ashamed of their behavior the previous night. Piggy, who is unable to confront his role in Simon's death, attributes the tragedy to mere accident. But Ralph, clutching the conch desperately and laughing hysterically, insists that they have been participants in a murder. Piggy whiningly denies the charge. The two are now virtually alone. Everyone except Sam and Eric have and a handful of little ones has joined Jack's tribe, which is now headquartered at Castle Rock, the mountain on the island. At Castle Rock, Jack rules with absolute power. Boys are punished for no apparent reason. Jack ties up and beats a boy named Wilfred and then warns the boys against Ralph in a small group, saying that they are all a danger to the tribe. The entire tribe, including Jack, seems to believe that Simon really was a beast and that the beast is capable of assuming any disguise. Jack states that they must continue to guard against the beast, for it is never truly dead. He says that he and two other hunters, Maurice and Roger, should raid Ralph's camp to obtain more fire and that they will hunt again tomorrow. The boys at Ralph's camp drift off to sleep. Depressed and losing interest in the signal fire, Ralph sleeps fitfully and plagued by nightmares. They are awakened by howling and shrieking and are suddenly attacked by a group of Jack's hunters. The hunters badly beat Ralph and his companions, who do not even know why they are assaulted, for they growled like... Whoa. Hold on there, Bessie. For they gladly would have shared the fire with the other boys. But Piggy knows why. For the hunters have stolen his glasses, and with them, the power to make fire. Let's analyze chapter 10. In the period of relative calm following Simon's murder, we see the power of dynamic on the island has shifted completely to Jack's camp. The situation that has been slowly brewing now comes to full boil. Jack's power over the island is complete. 
and Ralph is left an outcast, subject to Jack's whims. A civilization and order has eroded among the boys, so has Ralph's power and influence, to the extent that none of the boys protest when Jack declares him an enemy of the tribe. As Jack's powers reaches its high point, the figures of the beast and the Lord of the Flies attain prominence. Similarly, as Ralph's power reaches its low point, the influence and importance of other symbols in this novel, such as the conch shell and Piggy's glasses, decline as well. As Ralph and Piggy discuss Simon's murder the following morning, Ralph clutches the conch shell for him to him for solace, but once potent symbol of order and civilization is now useless. Here, Ralph clings to it as a vestige of civilization, but with its symbolic power fading, the conch shell is merely an object, like the signal fire. It can no longer give Ralph comfort. Piggy's glasses, the other major symbol of civilization, have fallen into Jack's hands. Jack's new control of the ability to make fire emphasizes his power over the island and the demise of the boys' hopes of being rescued. We learn a great deal about the different boys' characteristics through their varying reactions to Simon's death. Piggy, who is used to being right because of his sharp intellect, finds it impossible to accept any guilt for what happened. Instead, he sets his mind to rationalizing his role in the affair. Ralph refuses to accept Piggy's easy rationalization with Simon's death as accidental and insists that the death was a murder. Yet the word murder, a term associated with a rational system of law and civilized moral code, now seems strangely at odds with the collective madness of the killing. The foreignness of the word and the context of the savagery on the island reminds us, reminds us of how far the boys have traveled along the moral spectrum since the time when they were forced to follow the rules of adults. Jack, for his part, has become an expert in using the boys' fear of the beast to enhance his own power. He claims that Simon really was the beast, implying that the boys have a better grasp of the truth in their frenzied bloodlust than in their calmer moments of reflection. This conclusion is not surprising coming from Jack, who seems almost addicted to the state of bloodlust and frenzy. Jack's ability to convince the other boys that the state of bloodlust is a valid way of interacting with the world erodes their sense of morality even further and enables Jack to manipulate them even more. Chapter 11 The next morning, Ralph and his few companions try to light the fire in the cold air. But the attempt is hopeless. Without Piggy's glasses, Piggy squinting and barely able to see, suggests that Ralph hold a meeting to discuss, the, discuss geez, their options. Ralph blows the conch shell, and the boys who have not gone to Jack's tribe assemble on the beach. They decide that their only choice is to travel to Castle Rock to make Jack and his followers see reason. Ralph decides to take the conch shell to Castle Rock, hoping that it will remind Jack's followers for his former authority. Once at Jack's camp, however, Ralph's group encounters armed guards. Ralph blows the conch shell, but the group the guards tell them to leave and throw stones at them, aiming to miss. Suddenly, Jack and a group of hunters emerge from the forest, dragging a dead pig. Jack and Ralph immediately face off. Jack commands Ralph to leave his camp, and Ralph demands that Jack return Piggy's glasses. Jeez. Jack attacks Ralph and they fight. Ralph struggles to make Jack understand the importance of the signal fire to any hope the boys might have over being rescued. But Jack orders his hunters to capture Sam and Eric and tie them up. This sends Ralph into a fury, and he lunges at Jack. Ralph and Jack fight for a second time. Piggy cries out shrilly, struggling to make himself heard over the brawl. As Piggy tries to speak, hoping to remind the group of importance of rules and rescue, Roger shoves a massive rock down the mountainside. Ralph, who, is the who hears the rock falling, dies and dodges it, but the boulder strikes Piggy, shatters the conch shell he is holding, and knocks him off the mountainside to his death and on the rocks below. Jack throws his spear at Ralph, and the other boys quickly join in. 
Ralph escapes into the jungle, and Roger be- and Jack begin to torture Sam and Eric, forcing them to submit to Jack's authority and join his tribe. Let's analyze chapter 11. And the chaos that ensues when Ralph's and Jack's camps come into direct conflict, two important symbols in the novel, the conch shell and the Lord of the Flies, are destroyed. Roger, the character least able to understand the civilizing impulse, crushes the conch shell as he looses the boulder and, col- and kills Piggy. The character least able to understand the savage impulse, as we see in the next chapter, Ralph, the boy most closely associated with civilization and order, destroys the Lord of the Flies, the governing totem of the dark impulses within each individual. With Piggy's death and Sam and Eric's forced conversion to Jack's tribe, Ralph is left alone on the island, doomed to defeat by the forces of bloodlust and primal chaos. Appropriately, Ralph's defeat comes in the form of the hunt, which has been closely associated with the savage instinct throughout Lord of the Flies. Ironically, although hunting is necessary to the survival of the group, there is little other food on the island aside from fruit, which has been made many of the boys sick. It is also what drives them into deadly barbarism. From the beginning of the novel, the hunters have been the ones who have pioneered the way into the realm of savagery and violence. Furthermore, the conflict between Ralph and Jack has often manifested itself as the conflict between the interests of the hunters and the interests of the rest of the group. In chapter 3, for instance, the boys argue over whether Jack's followers should be allowed to hunt or forced to build huts with Ralph and Simon. Now that Jack and the forces of savagery have risen to unchallenged prominence on the island, the hunt has thoroughly won out over the more peaceful civilizing instinct. Rather than successfully mitigate the power of the hunt with the rules and structures of civilization, Ralph becomes a victim of the savage forces and the hunt represents he has literally become the prey. Okay, chapter 12, the last chapter. Ralph hides in the jungle and thinks miserably about the chaos that has overrun the island. He thinks about the deaths of Simon and Piggy and realizes that all vestiges of civilization have been stripped from the island. He stumbles across the sow's head, the Lord of the Flies, now merely a gleaming white skull, as white as the conch shell, he notes. Angry and disgusted, Ralph knocks the skull to the ground and takes the stake it was impaled on to use a weapon against Jack. That night, Ralph sneaks down to the camp at Castle Rock and finds Sam and Eric guarding the entrance. The twins gave him food, but refused to join him. They tell him that Jack plans to send the entire tribe after him the next day. Ralph hides in a thicket and falls asleep. In the morning, he hears Jack talking and torturing one of the twins to find out where Ralph is hiding. Ralph? (laughs) Several boys tried to break into the thicket by rolling a boulder, but the thicket is too dense. A group of boys tries to fight their way into a thicket, but Ralph fends them off. The Ralph sends... Then Ralph smells smoke and realizes that Jack has set the jungle on fire in order to smoke him out. Ralph abandons his hiding place and fights his way to pass Jack and a group of his hunters. Chased by a group of boy- body-painted warriors wielding sharp wooden spears, Ralph plunges frantically through the undergrowth, growth, looking for a place to hide. At last, he ends up on the beach where he collapses in exhaustion. His pursuers close behind. Suddenly, Ralph looks up to see a naval officer standing over him. The officer tells the boys that his ship has come to the island after seeing the blazing fire in the jungle. Jack's hunters reach the beach and stop in their tracks upon seeing the officer. The officer, matter-of-factly, assumes the boys are up to, as he puts it, fun and games. But when he learns what has happened on the island, the officer is reproachful. How could this group of boys, he asks, and English boys at that, have lost all reverence for the rules of civilization in so short a time? For his part, Ralph is overwhelmed by the knowledge that he has been rescued, that he will escape the island after coming so close to a violent death. He begins to sob, as do the other boys. Moved and embarrassed, the naval officer turns his back so the boys may regain their composure. Last chapter analysis. After Ralph's tense 
exciting stand against the hunters. The ending of the Lord of the Flies is rife with irony. Ralph had thought the signifier, a symbol of civilization, was the only way to lure rescuers to the island. Ironically, although it is indeed a fire that lures a ship to the, land, the island, it is not an ordered, controlled signifier, but rather the haphazard forest fire Jack's hunter is set solely for the purpose of killing Ralph. As we have seen, Ralph has worked tirelessly to retain the structure of civilization and maximize the boys' chances of being rescued. Now, when all he can do is struggle and stay to stay alive as long as possible, as do X machina an improbable or unexpected unex- device or a character that suddenly appears to resolve a situation it appears at the last possible moment in the form of the naval officer who brings the boys back to the world of law and order and society golding's use of irony in the last chapter blurs the boundary between civilization and savagery and implies that two are more closely connected than the story has illustrated ultimately the boys' appalling savagery brings about the rescue that their coordinated and purposeful Ultimately, the boys' appalling savagery be- brings about the rescue that their coordinated and purposeful efforts were, enabled- were unable to achieve. Much of the irony at the end of the novel stems that from Golding's portrayal of the naval officer. Although the naval officer saves Ralph, the ending of The Lord of the Flies still is not partip- particularly happy, and the moment in which the officer encounters the boys is not of uh, one of unattained joy. The officer says that he is unable to understand how upstanding British lads could have acted with such poor form. Ironically, though, his civilized officer is himself a part of an adult world in which violence and war go hand in hand with civilization and social order. He recreate he reacts to the savage children with disgust, yet this disgust is tinged with hypocrisy. Similarly, the children are so shocked by the officer's presence and are now physiologically so far removed from his world that they do not instantly celebrate his arrival. Rather, they stand before him baffled and bewildered. Even Ralph, whose whose life has literally been saved by the presence of the ship, weeps tears of grief rather than joy. For Ralph, as the other boys, nothing can ever be as it was before, coming to the island, Lord of the Flies. And that's Lord of the Flies Explained. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you.